0: Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, we break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm Matt Popovitz, and with me is my co-host Rachel Ryder. Rachel, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Matt. I am. I'm taking a deep breath as we get ready to um, to, to tackle this one today. This is a big one.
0: Yeah, we're we're talking about something that is 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 sensitive and 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 complicated. But also, my sense, really timely. Today, mm-hmm. we are talking about gender identity, and then in spe- and then specifically, uh, the, the trans community and the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a great guest to help us talk about this. Our guest today is Preston Sprinkle. Preston mm-hmm. is a biblical scholar, speaker, podcaster, a New York Times bestselling author, and the co-founder and president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. He's earned a PhD in New Testament from Aberdeen University in Scotland. He's taught theology at various universities, and he's written a dozen books, including Erasing Hell with Francis Chan, Nonviolence, Scandalous Grace, People to be Loved, Living in a Gray World, and his latest book uh, about uh, about the trans experience in the Christian faith. His latest book is called Embodied. Uh, I, I can't think of anyone... Uh, better from a like a scholarly perspective and also a faith perspective to to talk about this with us. I'm really I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Preston. What about you, Rachel?
1: Oh, absolutely. And um if you've ever you know anybody could just google him and he's got YouTube videos and a lot of things out there of um having conversations about this and they're all just filled with grace and kindness and um knowledge and so it's really I would encourage anybody who wants to learn more um, about him and the work he does to so check that out but um i also come to this and we've talked a lot about this separately just with um some hesitance and some anxiety and some tenderness because it is so it's just in our culture and here i am i'm i'm a woman married to a man and what i i believe is considered cisgendered and it's like who am i to have this conversation and why is it good for us to have this conversation so i'd love to hear your thoughts as uh, before we get into it
0: yeah. You know, I, I you know, I, I, have to be, uh, to be um, honest about the fact that, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about something because, you know, you know, Preston is not himself personally a, a member of the transgender mm-hmm. community and neither either mine, neither are you. So we're going to be talking a lot about people who, who aren't going to be directly represented in this conversation. And so we have to be really sensitive to that fact that we're going to talk about other people's lives and other people's mm-hmm. experiences. So we want to just recognize that, that, that in and of itself is, is, is sensitive. Um, and we also just want to recognize that this is incredibly complicated. You know, it's 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 not only a very personal thing for people to wrestle with, uh, if they are if they identify as transgender or non-binary or, or, or gender queer, which is one of the the, the terms we'll talk about mm-hmm. in the interview with Preston. Uh, but it's also been very much politicized, And so it's it's rife with political intensity. But all it's also a theological conversation, and, and so it, it is. It's just heavy, and it's a, it's a hot button, but it's also very, very sensitive for so many people. Mm -hmm. And so, and so for those reasons and more, you know, I I come to it with a sense of like deep responsibility to make sure that we, we have a, uh, a really, a really truly helpful conversation. And I imagine Mm -hmm. you're feeling a lot of the same things, Rachel.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I get the idea that, um, this is more in our community, more in our culture than it's been in a long time, at least as I've ever been aware. And I don't know a lot. I just know what I've seen from like pop culture or through politicized, but as somebody who loves the Lord and who is deeply loved by God, I want that for others. And I just feel, um, that I've missed the step I've, I've misstepped, I've misthought. and I want to do better and I want to love better. Um, and this is a community that I want to love better. Uh, So I'm hoping just like understanding, um, from somebody like Preston will help lead to that.
0: Yeah. And, and that, and that really is our, our ultimate aim in this is not mm-hmm. just, un, not just understanding, but, but, uh, but a greater love, yeah. um, uh, for, 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 for people in the LGBTQ community and the journey that they're on. How, how can we understand them better? Uh, but also love them. Love them more effectively, even as you know some some like me in my in my position, you know who holds to what I would say is a a biblical and an orthodox view mm-hmm. of of human sexuality and and human identity. Um, how can I how can I hold to that, but also but also love people who 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 are identifying as something kind of maybe outside of that? How, how can I how can I love them as best as possible? You know, yeah. and there are some I mean, as we've wrestled with having this conversation who've who would push back and and say you know we we really we don't necessarily have a right to have this conversation because we're not a part of that community. And I, and I, and I, and I understand that position, although I don't obviously agree with it, but I understand it. I'm sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. And and so we're going to try and approach this conversation with Preston uh, with, with, uh, with seriousness and care. But also I would say this, I, I would say that, that what's interesting about the conversation around gender identity and, and the trans community is that, it, it does affect things that do belong to all of us and, and are a part of everyone's story. Because it's talking about identity, it's talking about what it means to be male, what it means to be fam- female, what it means even to be a person. You know, th- those are truths, those are ideas that, that belong to all of us, that belong to all of us. And and as we perhaps as a culture change our understanding of those things, that has an impact and an effect on all of us. So there isn't, there's an aspect of when we talk about the T in LGBTQ where it intersects with all of our stories, all of our lives in a way that perhaps the, the other aspects of that, that alphabet Maybe Mm -hmm. don't. And so and so that so so I want us to be mindful of that, too, that there's a vested interest in this conversation for all of us, not just in in, not just in how we, we love the people who are on this journey or in that community. So, so, so we're taking all that and we're bringing all that (laughs) into this, into this conversation with Preston. So, so what do you say, Rachel, that we, we don't, we don't, uh, we, we don't spend any more time talking about this conversation, but we, we instead just dive right into it. What do you say, Rachel?
1: I'm excited. Let's do it.
0: Preston, welcome to make it simple. Thank you so much for sitting down to have this conversation with us today.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on.
0: You know, it's, it's something that's, um, that I wanted to, to talk about with you for some time, even before your, your, your book embodied, uh, came out. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yet as I do, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that I come into this conversation with some, with some heaviness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this is, a a sensitive and, and, um, complicated conversation. Um, what in your mind makes this conversation so difficult to have?
2: That's a great way to start. And, um, before I say anything I just want to acknowledge that you know I don't identify as trans I've never experienced gender dysphoria um and so anything I say is is always going to be incomplete and whatever I say I, hopefully it will be helpful and, and informative on some level but um there is no replacement for just sitting down and You know, talking to and listening, genuinely listening to somebody who does identify as trans or or is experiencing gender dysphoria. So I I think the difficult, there's several ways I can answer that. I think number one, the topic has been very politicized. And so many people, Christians and non Christians, when they think of the trans conversation, they often view it through the lens of, you know, well, what did Ben Shapiro say or what did CNN say or. Mm what's the latest law or trans people in athletics you know like we, we will typically have this lens that is you know it's there the politicalization is not unimportant but it, it does represent a really small piece of the much greater conversation so I think the where depending on where we're getting our politics from that can really shape our fear our Anger, our aggression when we even approach the conversation. There's that, and then I think there's just some obvious complexity over yeah. the conversation. You know, if somebody says, "I feel like I was born in the wrong body," or you know, what does that mean? Is that a true? Um, most of us have a very basic sense that humans are male or female. Um, and now, you know, we're introduced to many different gender identities, and so there can be a lot of initial confusion, confusion over what we're even doing. And thirdly, a lot of us, at least if you're my age or younger, I'm 46, we don't want we don't want to be a bigot. We don't want to be a so called so called right. transphobe. We want to be loving. We know how the church has done it in the past, and we don't want to do that. So we're afraid of saying something offensive or or being on the wrong side of love. Um, And so you add all that together. And sometimes we just kind of shut down and just don't engage the conversation at all. So that's, that'd be three big ones. There's probably more than, more than that.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the, those the, those are the those are the big ones for me. I think the biggest one for me being I just don't I don't want to hurt people. I, I mm-hmm. want to help people. I, I yeah, want to have uh. this conversation. I want to understand it. I want to understand people's struggles. I want to understand how to love people better. I also want to understand what 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 the truth is as a, as a Christian as a pastor. I want to understand what the truth is. I'm going to stand on that. But as I do that, I I, fe- I feel like the conversation is rife with potential for me to do more harm than good. That that's hmm. that's the sense yeah. that's the sense I feel. So, so, what, what are what are some things you've kept in mind as 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 a person who who does not identify as trans or non-binary, as a cisgendered white male entering into this yeah. conversation, writing a book about it? What are some things that you've had to keep in mind as you have this conversation in, in a public way, and you, you you try to be
2: as helpful and as loving as possible? The the biggest one for me as somebody who is academically wired. You know, is as I wrestle with these important concepts to make sure I'm keeping people at the front and center of that, of my journey, and that's not always easy. You know, because you'll you'll read this article, read that book, look at this debate, and and you could kind of get fired up, like, well, no, this is true and that's wrong, and and that doesn't always cultivate the best posture when it comes to people. So that's where I I just constantly um, have to stay in relationship with my friends who are. you know, identifies trans or non-binary, um, to, to make sure I'm letting their story shape how I go about this conversation. Um, and yeah, I think learning how to ask the right questions too is a big one. What are we even asking? Um, whether we should love trans people? Well, hopefully that's a capital Y. Yes. Yeah. Um, whether we should listen to and learn from trans people, again, that should absolutely be a yes. Um, I think there is. I, I should add this too, since we're at the beginning of the conversation, that we, we need to really come out of the trans conversation, understanding that LGB is different from T. In other words,
0: mm-hmm.
2: when we when we're talking about trans experiences, we're not talking about sexual ethics. We're not talking about same sex marriage. Like, you know, I, I remember I just talked to a mother a few weeks ago whose son is transitioning, and you know, she was very flustered and. and kind of you know just like just upset and not in an angry sense but just like you know just really taken off guard and and then she said you know i i i I could have sworn my son wasn't gay you know and he dated girls and i think it was genuine and now just just doesn't make sense and i said well what makes you think he is gay (laughs) and she said well he's transitioning you know he's trans i said so like Mm -hmm. there's nothing to do with being gay like some trans people are straight some are gay some are some non-trans people are gay, some are straight. Like being trans has nothing to do with sexual ethics. In fact, there is no, if we even ask the question like, is being trans sinful? What does that even mean? Like, what does being trans even mean? As 10 people. What that means, you might get 11 different answers. So I think there's yeah, learning how to ask the right questions and not assume that when we talk about trans identities, we're even talking about LGB stuff or sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, Kristen, I wonder if you have any insight on, um, first of all, like, it just seems like gender identity and trans and this stuff is, it feels like it's everywhere now. It's in our culture. Um, For the first time in my life, I have friends that have children that are wrestling with this. Do you have any insight as to, like, why it seems to be so pervasive in our culture right now or why it's just come up and it's such a, such a topic?
2: Yeah, there's. So I'm gonna um, to speed up my internet here. I'm gonna cancel my uploads. I was uploading some stuff. And I think it's bogging us down. Um, I yeah, there's 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 two quick reasons I could give. Number one, with the federal legalization of same-sex marriage in 2015, a lot of especially older uh, gay and lesbian people who have fought for decades for that, mm-hmm. that was kind of the final goal. And it's like, man, the federal legalization of same sex marriage. Like, and, and I know Christians were all up in arms over that, at least some, some were, um, but look at it from their vantage point that that's a huge victory for, yeah. for people who have been fighting for that for years. So after that, a lot of older gay and lesbian people are kind of like, oh, we're good. You know, And it, it seems like we're being celebrated in most pockets of culture, especially the most dominant areas of influence. Um, not there is still bullying that happens, but nothing like it was, decades ago. And so, so with gay and lesbian people, the kind of the activism just was kind of not want to say over, but it was largely kind of it's, it's succeeded. That gave way to now um, trans people saying, okay, well that's great for gay and lesbians. What about our, our Mm -hmm. rights? So that would be one reason why in the last now seven years, the trans conversation has taken front has been front and center, but also there is, let, let me say this. There's almost two different trans conversations. Um, they overlap, but they are actually quite different. There's the older trans generation. Um, and then there's things going on among Gen Z mm-hmm. that it, I don't want to say they're in two entirely different conversations. They're still mm-hmm. under the broad umbrella of trans, but they are very they are quite different. There's a lot of differences happening. Um it, And without getting too deep in the weeds, um, older trans people typically grew up experiencing debilitating gender dysphoria, Mm -hmm. um, which is a very, it's a very rare condition. You know, the DSM says it's 0.014% of the population would would be diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which can be utterly debilitating. You can experience the time you were three years old, two years old, even and for most kids that do experience it, it, it does end up going away after puberty, but for those that it doesn't, it can be a, a, a minute to minute, hour by hour struggle just to put on your shoes in the morning, you know? Mm. Um, and so older trans people went through years of that and years of sometimes mental health therapy. And finally, after a long time of wrestling, they might've pursued transitioning old you know, as a young adult, sometimes even an older adult, um, that kind of trajectory is is a little bit different than a lot of younger people today. I mean, there's been, I mean, a, to to say the numbers have skyrocketed would be an understatement. Um, there's, well, to put it specifically, there's been a five thousand percent increase among teenage girls identifying as trans in the last ten years. So, I mean, okay. a hockey stick spike uh, that that comes from the UK, but any Western country, there's that we're seeing. An, ex, an absolute explosion of young teens identifying as trans or not typically trans. It would be non-binary gender, queer gender fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has raised the question, is there something in the social environment that is playing yeah. some role? Because for most of these teens, most, a lot of these teens, they didn't grow up experiencing the kind of childhood debilitating gender dysphoria that some older trans people did. Um, there does seem to be a, 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 rush. That might be a little too strong. In some circles, it is a rush um, toward transitioning cross-sex hormones, pre blockers, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and that's something um, is making a lot of people nervous. In fact, the people who are most nervous about the quickness with which the explosion of teens identifying as non-binary trans and the rush towards transition transitioning, the two groups of people that are really nervous about that, Are lesbians and older trans people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and that they're probably for somewhat different reasons. But um, that so so I think the social question with younger trans people that that's not that didn't really exist for older trans people. There was no social like motivation for right identifying as trans like that just that was not a thing. But in some if you're in a more progressive environment, and I this these are this is a quote from a friend of mine who is now, she identifies trans and detransitioned as a 21-year-old, she said, you know, I was a white, straight girl, cis girl, and it was bad to be that in my environment. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the kind of persecution and bullying or just negative view of LGBT people that a lot of older LGBT people grew up with, it's almost like in some context that's completely flipped around to where now not being that, can be viewed as well. You're just part of the oppression of you know, um, sexual and gender minorities and so on. Sure. So there's just a lot of lot of social complexity that is playing a role in when it comes to young young people in this conversation. That, sorry, that that's a long answer, but it's yeah. actually a, it's I actually made it brief. <laughs> <laughs> no, because <it's laughs> it raises lots of questions. I'm sure. Sure,
1: it's complicated. Yeah. yeah. So, Preston,
0: walk us through. Let, let's, let's maybe back up a little bit and. And, um, uh, define, define some terms, at least for this conversation. Um, sure. uh, what, what's the relationship in, in your, in your view, as you present it in embodied your, your book, um, what's, what's the relationship between like biological sex and gender?
2: Yeah. First of all, that's the most important question to, for the conversation. Um, I always ask, I always, when I talk about this, I always ask people, how many genders are there? And the room kind of looks a little nervous, like, uh. Pretty sure it's two, but the fact yeah. that you're asking the question makes me wonder. And That's expects, what I thought. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. N- yeah. Nobody should answer that question. You need to ask a question. What do you mean mm-hmm. by gender? The term gender is used so fluidly today. Um, mm-hmm. Let's quick historical overview. Up until the late 60s, early 70s, sex and gender were used as synonyms, mm-hmm. which is whether you're a male or female. And there's two options, male or female. Uh, that's your sex, that's your gender. They were used interchangeably. In the wake of the 70s, though, then you had, you know, the, the concept of gender began to be viewed as a, as a related but somewhat separate thing. The most basic definition of gender, when used in distinction from sex, is the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male and female or female. For instance, um, you know, if I said, is pink a girl color or boy color? you know, We're going to say, well, it's a girl color, but the color pink has nothing to do with biological sex. Right. It has to do with how the majority of females have tended to maybe dress or whatever in a certain culture at a certain time period. Interestingly, 100 years ago, pink was considered masculine and blue was considered feminine. If you had a baby girl... You would hundred years ago. You would put her in blue if you had a baby boy. You put him in pink. But then now, for whatever reason, it's it's flipped. Um, well, that that you know the, the association of pink with femaleness and blue with maleness that has to do with gender, the psychological, or more specifically, the cultural and social aspects of being male or female. If I said you know is playing American football masculine or feminine, you would say masculine. Well, again. The sport has nothing to do with biological sex intrinsically. It just has to do with how many some members of a particular biological sex might you know resonate with. So, so there is some people get upset separating sex from gender, and and I understand that. Um, but there is at least some helpfulness in understanding cultural phenomenon ph- phenomena that arise around these kind of gender stereotypes. And just the raw nature of biological sex. So, so yeah, today, um, oh, so, so gender, okay, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll keep it simple. It's too late, right? Um, gender can, there's like three subcategories of gender. Gender identity, gender roles, and gender expression. Gender expression, how we dress, our mannerisms, our interests. Gender role, how society assumes men and women should act. You know, 50 years ago, is like men were the breadwinners, women sit at home, and these are the assumed roles that a male or female would have. And then gender identity, which is the most important for our topic, is one's internal sense of self as male, female, both or neither. So understanding the difference between gender identity and biological sex is the starting point for understanding the trans conversation. Because trans-identified people would say, okay, I might be biologically male or female, but my gender identity is fill in the blank. I mean, there's dozens, if not hundreds, of different mm-hmm. possibilities they can mm-hmm. choose from, and that just refers to their internal sense of self as male, female, both, or neither. And that raises the question of what does that even mean? Is that a legitimate category? Are we just making stuff up? Is it a feeling? And that's yeah. a whole other labyrinth we can wander into.
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, building off of what you're saying, Preston. You know, it it seems to me that. That, that culturally, we we're living in a moment where there's this move to say that that I that my identity, this internal reality that I that I have, norms my biology, my physical reality. That that, yes. that what I feel on the inside is is the is the primary factor of who I am over and above my my physical reality, mm-hmm. um, and, and that it's the it's the primary driver in my understanding of self, the, like my mm-hmm. internal my internal reality of who I feel that I am um yeah w- you're a new testament scholar uh, just you know you're you're reading an understanding of christian scripture what's the sense from scripture of 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 when God looks at us yeah. and he and he talks about who we are mm-hmm. and he identifies us w- what what does he see as 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 primary in terms of determining yeah. our identity does he look at our um, our self perception internally. Does he look at our primarily our biology? Is it a mix of both? Like, how does mm-hmm. what does he look at when he when he defines
2: yeah. us? First of all, it's a great way of framing it. Um, and the way I've framed it is similar to you. Is in in the book, you know, I ask a leading question: If someone's internal sense of who they are conflicts with their biological sex, like they experience some incongruence here, then which one are they? Yeah your internal sense of self is that determined who you are or your biological sex and i'm a big fan of exhausting all the different arguments on all sides and and there is some complexity here specifically with the relationship between our bodies and our brains you know um but to save you the five chapters that i you know explored that question through um yeah i do think that our in terms of the categories of male, female, man, woman, boy, girl, that our biological sex objectively determines whether we are a man or a woman, even if our internal sense of self doesn't resonate with that. Now that's a bold, I mean, it shouldn't, in some circles that wouldn't be, it'd almost be, controversial that I even have to say it that, you know it seems so obvious to some people but in other circles that that's a very that would get stuff thrown at me if I if I said that um and, and that that is a very modern i would say i mean not just me but it's a very modern western um way of saying or, or it would be a very modern western way of viewing human nature if we said the opposite that no our, my my internal sense of self determines who i am like that that would conflict with my understanding of a biblical worldview of human nature. Um, in fact, if we go all the way back to Genesis 1, uh, Genesis one twenty seven, you know, God created them in his image, God created the male and female, and you see a, a, a an overlap, an association between being created in God's image and being created male and female so that We bear God's image, not just as humans, not just as embodied humans, but specifically as sexed embodied humans, our male and femaleness referring to biological sex is a significant part of human identity and it's correlated with bearing God's image. So if somebody said, well, it's just my biological sex, or it's just my body, just that kind of flippancy doesn't really reflect a Christian worldview or Jewish worldview of what it means to be human, what it means to bear God's image. So that, that is again, a very modern Western um, way of understanding human nature. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, because you know, throughout the Christian narrative, I mean, the the importance, the beauty, um, uh, the the divine nature, even in some sense, of the physical reality of sure. that, because you know, it starts with a physical reality, and it's it's going to end in a redeemed and yeah. perfected physical reality. Um, the 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 physical world matters, including. The, the physical body that that I that I inhabit, right? That's a, that's a key, that's a key part of the Christian story. Right. To the point where God in the Christian story takes on a human body with a right. biological sex, right? And it, God takes on, takes this on. That, that's how much yeah. it matters,
2: right? And Creation, so- resurrection, incarnation in the middle, like that. That all is an important storyline of Scripture that flows from Genesis one twenty seven. There's a reason why Jesus is most references to the image of God in scripture are referring to Jesus as the ultimate expression of what it means to be human. You know, obviously he was divine, but he was also hundred percent human. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the goodness and material material, materiality (laughs) of, of, of creation and, and being human, these are all significant themes. Now I, I will say this, um, the way not just trans people, but people who are who advocate for certain aspects or certain trans ideologies. I hate collapsing it into one yeah. ideology, but certain, you know, there's variations. You know, some expressions of that do sound very Gnostic, you know, where it's just <laughs> this body just seems to be a shell that covers the real you. That is definitely there. I will say that doesn't represent every trans person or even somebody who transitioned. You know, the the friends of mine that I know that did have transitioned, um, man, e- each story is very complex. Um, one in particular, you know, for her, born biologically male, and she w- I would still say, I- I'm biologically male. That's just a scientific fact. But, you know, experienced debilitating gender dysphoria, went through every kind of therapy, tried everything. But... From her vantage point, after years and years of struggle, um, she was either going to commit suicide because she couldn't stand to wake up another day or transition. And even there, she was, you know, 70, 80 percent sure that this is the right thing to do. But he wasn't like bold, isn't an activist, is just saying, I'm trying to survive. And the last six years, you know, post-transition, she's very little depression, very little anxiety, no more suicidality, no more gender dysphoria, now, that that's not an ethical or the, well, not a theological or philosophical argument, but that that is the relational side that's like, man, while there are some kind of <laughs> proto or neo-gnostic expressions of certain trans ideologies, for some, it's just a practical, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to, that there's yeah. a lot of complexities within the bra- greater conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah and I was yeah, I was thinking of um uh Christina Beardsley who is a uh, a, yeah. a trans uh, a priest I think I think in the Anglican Church I, yeah. I know she's in the yeah. she's in the UK and uh, you know hearing hearing her talk I get a sense from her that 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 her transition to to being a female to being a woman is is part of her she would say it's a part of her high view of her physical self yeah, because it's about I, I care about my body so much that I want it yeah. to be in congruence with my internal reality. Right. I'm not I'm not seeking to I didn't transition my physical my physical self because I have a low view of it. It's because it matters so yeah. much and I have such a high view of it that that I want to transition yeah. that. So I, so I do think it's important to recognize that that not not everyone in this conversation has, as you said, a kind of a Gnostic view. I think it's really important to say that there, that yeah. there is. There, there are those who, who can say that they're, they're motivated out of a high view of the physical world. Yeah. To, to, that's to a
2: great, sense. you're the first, first person I know to reference Christina Beardley, who I've had conversations with and extremely thoughtful uh, as a yeah. PhD in theology, I believe. Um, and yeah, in her book, she references that that's, it, it's really out of, out of concern for the body that I want it to be congruent with my mind. And, and that, you know. I'm a huge fan of not straw manning argument. Like what is, you know, the best, because I do hold the view and I've talked to Christine about this, you know, and she she really liked my book, except for that part. <laughs> like why, why? I don't understand how you say it's, you know, ethically not permissible to transition from your viewpoint. And, you know, my pushback, well, I gave reasons. It's not like I just pulled that out of my back pocket and just flippantly said it. But um, uh, the, the best counter argument is, if you believe in something like the fall, which we all do as Christians or should, then could it not be that somebody's brain, for instance, wasn't as touched by the fall as their body so that their brain is actually a more accurate description of who they are than their body. So that it's out of a high, like you said, a high view of the body that I want my body to align with my brain. Now that assumes that, our brains are sexed like our bodies are, and that's why I wrote a whole chapter exploring that um, possibility. Which I don't—I don't think brains are sexed dimorphically like the bodies are. Our bodies are, but um, yeah, at, at least we can appreciate there. There are certain strands of trans ideology. There are certain ways in which trans people have reflected on the human body that are, are more thoughtful than others. Even if I yeah. would, ultimately would would disagree. Preston, I want to
0: preface this question just, again, by recognizing that, um, that I, I am not a trans person, and this is a much easier question for me to ask than it is yeah. for people who live this story to answer, but I think it's an important one to ask. You know, we, we talk about the, the lack of congruence between my internal reality and my physical reality, and so uh, the, the journey that many have chosen to take um, who feel that disconnect is to change the physical reality. Why is it that that seems to be the overarching choice that's made? If, if, if I've, there's a disconnect between my internal reality and my physical reality, the way to rectify that is not I – don't, I don't hear many people at least today talking about, well, I need to change the internal reality yeah. to make it in alignment with my physical reality. Instead, what we, yeah. we, what we, the conversation is about changing the physical to match the, the yeah. internal. Why, 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 why is that the path that yeah. we, we seem to go?
2: That's a great, another great question, um, and I think if you ask an older trans person that versus a fifteen-year-old trans non-binary person that, you might get two very different answers. Um, one response to that would be would be ideologically that some people do believe that their internal sense of self is who they are, and if anything disagrees with that, that needs a change, not their internal sense of self. Um, so, so one. And that would be a primary worldview within a large swath of the medical field that's involved in this conversation, um, where if somebody you know s- simply says "I am trans, I identify as such and such, then that identity is sacrosanct. it's protected. You don't question that. like if anybody says they are x, y, and Z, that is who they are. That, that That is a very specific worldview that, again, I would have problems with, serious problems with. But for somebody that has that worldview, that's the starting place. If, if this is who you say you are, you are that. Everything else needs to change. If people don't agree with that identi- identity, you need to get rid of those people. Um, if your body disagrees with that, we need to change the body. Everything's kind of like is wrong if it doesn't agree with that verbal identity. Um Another reason why people would hold to what you're saying, like, why not change the mind, not the body? Uh, For some people, they did try for years and years and years, and it just didn't work. Again, I've got friends that went through every form of therapy, and this debilitating dysphoria didn't go away. So it's really more through pragmatic reasons, not so much philosophical, but pragmatic saying, I don't know what else to do. I'm being told that transitioning will alleviate my dysphoria and depression and suicidality. I've tried everything else. So therefore I'm just going to do it just for pragmatic reasons. Um, uh, yeah, those are I guess those would be the two big umbrellas. One would be ideologically. One would be more pragmatically why people would, would hold to that view. Yeah. Um,
1: Our kiddo definitely has big emotions and part of it is that, you know, those tantrums were lasting for a really long amount of time, like way above what I think they say. I mean, yeah, they were just so long. So I think for sure with some of the techniques like the light switch, which was one of the first things we learned with you guys, the duration of those immediately started to cut down. Um, Preston, I've heard you talk about um, like what you've heard from this community, and you spend a lot of time um, in relationship with people that uh, largely their experience with Christians or with the church has been unkind or yeah. negative. And so, um, I, you know, how do we, as the church, how do you hold truth and orthodoxy in these things, but just do better? How do we do better?
2: Yeah, it's yeah. a great question. I mean, <laughs> where do I want to start? I, Honestly, when it comes to the trans conversation, I don't, I think most Christians, non-trans Christians who might have a problem with the whole trans conversation. If I was to ask them to articulate a solid biblical anthropology, I don't, I don't know if they would be right. Right. I mean, it's embedded in a lot of our hymns, you know, I'll fly away. Sweet Jesus. I can't wait to leave (laughs) the shell of the, you know, like we have Gnosticism all over the place in the church. Right. Um, We get surgeries on our body to enhance how we look i mean we've we've, we've got a pretty shallow biblical anthropology in the church so I, I it's almost like the romans 2 1 moment where it's like who are you to <laughs> that's almost <laughs> yeah. going to start there um that's a great point wow. <laughs> I, so i think having that humility that hey there's a lot there's a lot of gaps in our knowledge that we need to admit um i i I think there is just a tremendous amount of ignorance on the whole trans conversation. Again, it's, we take our cue from our favorite political pundit and that's kind of the depth of our knowledge on the trans conversation. And that's a terrible starting point. Um, So there's a lot of ignorance and ignorance breeds fear, especially in our polarized society Um, to be on, you know, whatever political tribe you're giving your allegiance to. It's like that tribe has a certain view of the whole trans conversation and Those are your talking points. Everything else is kind of the enemy, is how this is kind of embedded in how a lot of Christians think. So, how do we overcome that? I, you know, I think having a lot more, I think setting aside kind of the stream of knowledge that we're drinking from Mm -hmm. in this conversation. Let's just set that aside. Let's be curious about somebody else's experience and their story. Let's ask some good questions rather than get upset at your. Friends, fifteen-year-old kid who wants to be called they them, instead rather than just bleeding with being upset because that's just terrible and wrong, and ask the question why. I mean, genuinely, like if you sat mm-hmm. down out of genuine curiosity and asked this kid uh, with humility, I would love to understand why you want to be called they them. You know, um, let's start there. Doesn't mean. You're, they may say something that you totally don't agree, don't agree with. That's fine. But like, let's at least start with a, from a place of genuine curiosity so that whatever we might, so that our views are built on truth, not assumptions or straw straw man kind of arguments, you know, um, that, that alone, I mean, I just, if we just had that posture mixed with sound theological reflection, um, I think that would go a long way. The problem is we have shallow theological reflection and then a whole lot of assumptions that <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we didn't ask somebody, why do you prefer these pronouns or, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, so. well, starting, you know, um, I, I agree with,
0: with this kind of posture of curiosity, asking questions, right? Um mm-hmm. Before you get the chance to ask the question, would, would you, would you suggest that, that people of faith who, you know, who, who say, you know, who say they hold to an orthodox view of, of human sexuality, gender, um, uh, should they, should they seek to be hospitable to people's preferred pronouns? Yeah, is that, is, is that, is, is that a way to, is that an entree into a conversation and yeah. the way to show respect? And is that, is that a way to love our neighbor or is that make the, is that just give in to yeah. what
2: many Christian people see as a problem? That's a great, it's a great question. It's obviously a hot question. And like, I'll, you know, I wish I had an hour um, to unpack the pros and cons of different views and everything. So let me just say, there's really good people on both sides of this. There's good arguments that we all need to wrestle with. Nobody should either say yes, use pronouns or no, don't use pronouns too quickly. Like truly try to understand some of the concerns people have on both sides. Having spent quite a bit of time in that, uh, debate dialogue. um I do land on the side of for the most part i I think i I do use pron- someone's preferred pronouns uh, mm-hmm. as a way you use the phrase hospitable to meet somebody where they're at, to be hospitable to um to be incarnational um and the biggest pushback is well, that's you're lying to them you're you're feeding into a a lie you're or the more crass way of putting it, and I don't like the way this is put, but you're you're encouraging delusion. And that, that okay. word is not helpful at all, but that, that's how it's sometimes framed. Okay. Um, I don't, again, if you ask the majority of trans people, um, you know, if I use your pronouns, does that, do you automatically think that I agree with everything you believe? And I've, I've, I've taken informal surveys on this. The overwhelming majority is like, well, no, I, I probably assume you don't agree, but wow. You want to be in a relationship with me and you're willing to honor my pronouns, you know? Um, so I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily lying and, f- and language is so flexible. Like if I, and this is a, you know, not the perfect example, but if I invited my British friend to a, a game of football and I show up with shoulder pads and a helmet and he shows up with a, what I would call a soccer, soccer ball, yeah. <laughs> who's going to give in, you know, it's like there's <laughs> language is, Complex, and it's as I call you know, shared social space where two people with different worldviews are coming together and trying to relate to one another. Sometimes we're going to have to use the language of somebody else's worldview, sometimes they might have to give in. So, when it comes to the trans conversation, for most trans people, pronouns are a huge deal. And if you're not willing to use their pronouns, there is no hope of any kind of relationship. So, as I often say cynically. If you don't want any trans people in your life, like you just don't want any trans people in your life, then yeah, don't use their pronouns and you will guarantee no trans person will ever want to be around you. Um, my one exception, though, you know, when it comes to parents with younger kids, younger meaning, let's just arbitrarily say under 15, I, I think it could be actually healthy for a parent in humility and grace to not use um, the pronouns of their younger kid. Um, it, it, let me, let me qualify that. I do think it's a case by case basis, mm-hmm. but for yeah, pronouns are a form of social transitioning. And sometimes if a, if an authoritative figure, a parental figure is affirming that social transitioning that can always does, but can play a role in nudging them further down the road towards hormonal transitioning, surgical transitioning. Um, and I, as a parent, I want to put the brakes. Look, uh, If I was an atheist, a Bible-burning atheist, I would still be opposed to teenagers transitioning. I just don't think they have the ability to make a lifelong irreversible decision, especially Mm -hmm. given all the social confusion surrounding the conversation. So as a parent, if my 12-year-old wants to be called they, them, or a different name, again, in grace, humility, understanding, I'm still going to, in most cases, say, love you. I will come alongside you. I'm going to be here for you. But no, I'm not going to um, use these pronouns, um, but again, good people will disagree with me on that, and you know, I'm I'm willing to hear out the alternative view. But
1: well, it's interesting listening to you talk. I'm I'm thinking, I think I over I, I think it's good to wrestle with these things and ask these questions, but mm-hmm. I think I've made it more important what my opinion is. And, and instead of saying like, um, I'm going to come first with my thoughts and my opinions and I'm going to stand on truth. It's about relationship and it just, it's like, oh, duh. It yeah. always comes back to like, like relationship. And that's, that's grace. And that's humility. And I don't yeah. want anybody coming at me with my, with my junk first or my, what they yeah. believe I've done wrong. And so it's just, it's interesting listening to you. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. we've forgotten with a conversation as sensitive of this. Like it's about relationship and there's people behind this that sleep and struggle and and worry and are dealing with things. So
2: if our goal, which should be since our goal is to be an agent of discipleship, that Mm -hmm. the most effective place for being an agent of discipleship is within relationship within a, a trusting um, vulnerable relationship where the person we want to help influence trusts us. They, they know we're committed to them. They know we're genuinely trying to love them. That's the most fertile ground for discipleship. So there's some things that non-trans Christians can do to help enter into those spaces. Right. Refusing to use someone's pronouns typically shuts the door on that. Mm-hmm. And again, they're, they're not to repeat what I said earlier, but I mean, with, with a parent who has already established trust, love, humility or listening. Like if all that is in place, they do have a much longer leash, I think on still parenting their, their kid who, you know, might be in a situation where they're, you know, being brainwashed by a certain ideology that's not just mm-hmm. wrong, but could be destructive. And I, and I do want to, as a parent, want to protect them from the, the, this potential destruction that could happen from walking down a, a that kind of path. So, um, yeah, it's the pronoun thing's super complicated, yeah. and parenting trans-identified teenagers is probably the most complex area of the ministry that I've been engaging in for eight years, and I've engaged in pretty complex <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> situations. Well, well, I mean, that's the, that, that's a perfect segue to you know my, my next question
0: for you is you know just two days ago, I was having having a conversation with a friend of mine, and 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 her her teenage daughter is now identifying as. As, um, as, as non binary, um, as being asked to be, um, uh, called by a different name. And, um, th- you know, this, this, this mom just feels really, really caught, caught. Um, she, she wants to, to, to love her daughter. She, she doesn't want to lose it. She doesn't want to lose her daughter. Yeah. Um, she is, she's in desperate fear of her daughter. Um, if she does not affirm her, her desire to be, to begin a journey of transitioning towards, towards a a man, that she's going to lose her daughter in any number of ways, that she's going to lose her daughter just in terms of losing the relationship because she doesn't affirm it, or uh, worst case scenario, she loses her daughter to to suicide, self-harm. Um, and and uh, what I find for her, even though this th- this mom is a is a is a is a woman of deep and profound and, and mature faith, the the theological philosophical questions are so far down the ladder, like they don't they don't even really matter all that much right now. So much as the question of how in the world do I love my kid so I don't lose my kid? I just don't want to lose my kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- 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 I- I'm sure you've been confronted with parents like that. Um a yeah. thousand times over like like what what do you say when you put, when you put your pastoral heart in in, yeah. in in high gear what what do you say to the parent who's like, look i there's a lot of complexity. I get it I, I just want to love my kid best. What in the world do I do to love my kid best?
2: It's a great question and it's this is the most common you should see my inbox like the, this yeah. your scenario, I know you have a specific scenario, but that scenario, yeah. It has been repeated a thousand times over and, in and just in my life alone. Um, <clears throat> let, let me mention this before I forget. We, my organization, we did create a resource called parenting LGBTQ kids. I think that's the website parenting, lgbtq.com. Um, and so it's a 11 part discipleship curriculum, uh, three specific videos just on the trans conversation, um, parenting trans kids, um, that, We created that because we kept getting so many questions uh, about this. Uh, The desire, I just want to love my kid. I just want to be in relationship with my kid. That's a great, great starting point. If that's their main heart's desire, that's huge. Um, They're not alone. Um, That's another thing to communicate. You are not. You are part of a fairly large community of Christian parents wrestling with very similar situations with their kids that should at least be like, okay, you know, I think that can be comforting. I'm not alone. Um, Oftentimes a kid in this situation is going to be told from other sources, from social media, from friend groups, um, from Tumblr, YouTube, um, that if somebody doesn't affirm your identity 110%, then that person is toxic. And you need to cut that person out of your life because they are going to be an agent to increase your suicidality parents. If they go to a therapist, it's not uncommon for them to be told, do you want an alive son or a dead daughter? Hmm. Meaning there's two options here. Encourage your kid to transition or they'll commit suicide, which is among the most irresponsible things a parent could ever be told. Um, But that aside, that is the message that people are being told. So, I'm going to try to find a way, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out the, the best response here. The tension I'm going to try to maintain here is to do whatever it takes to be in relationship with my kid, to be seen as trustworthy, to be seen as a safe person, um, to concede things like pronouns. If, if that's what it takes to stay in relationship then hey i'll meet you where you're at the one place where i am going to draw the line is i i'm going to do whatever it takes to delay or prevent a teenager from transitioning and again that's not i'm not saying that because i'm a christian i'm saying that because the overwhelming scientific psychological data would suggest this is not healthy for humans. So in that sense, I'd, I, want, I still want to, if I truly care about my kid, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect them from making a decision that is irreversible, that is not going to solve their problems. That again, ethics aside, if as an adult, you want to make, once your brain's fully developed and <laughs> You've you've exhausted all other kind of mental health things. You, you've dealt with your trauma. You've dealt with mental health things. You're wrestling with your depression, your anxiety, and and you've exhausted all that. And then, if as an adult you still want to make the decision to transition, I, I may again, I even if I'm not supportive of it, I'm going to say, okay, as an adult, you can make the decision. But while you're still under my parental care, I am going to protect you from making what most likely will be a regrettable decision down the road. And this is where, you know, what I don't want is my, you know, and I have several friends who, you know, transitioned and now are detransitioning in their early twenties. I don't want my 24 year old kid to come to me and said, mom, dad, I have no more breasts. My voice is dropped. It's forever going to be deep. I'm forever infertile. I can never have kids of my own because of some decision I made as a 16 year old, where were my caretakers? Mm-hmm. I don't want that moment from ha- So I would rather have, again, do everything in my power to meet the kid where they're at, to love them, to be a safe place. But if me saying no to hormones causes my kid to go away, that to me that I'm not going to give on that because it, there, nobody wins if if I encourage that you know, from, from happening. So yeah. p- again, people disagree. Some people say, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to even, I give on the hormones or, or surgical stuff. I'm like, that's where I'm going to draw the line that, that as somebody who's ca- has a responsibility to care for my kid, I'm not going to encourage something that I think is, would be a very unloving, uncaring thing to do, even if they yeah. demand it. Yeah. You know. Preston,
0: you know, for for some people right now, their first entree into the, the conversation about um, the, the trans community is with the the collegiate swimmer Leah Thomas, and um, mm-hmm. I, I know you know you so very wisely at the outset said that we want to we want to avoid not being led solely by by partisan and politicized ideas and all this, and certainly
1: Leah's yeah. presence
0: in the swimming pool. Uh, has been lots of fodder for the partisan yes. and politicized conversation here, and yet even earlier this week, as I was talking to people, saying that I was going to talk to you, the number yeah. one thing that they said is, <laughs> yeah. ask him about the transgender swimmer.
2: Yes. And so, yes,
0: yes. and and and, and I, again, I don't want to play into that, but for many people, that's no, that's, no, really, no. that's really that's really yeah. their entree into this conversation. Sure. Um, and so, I, I did just want to like quickly get your thoughts as a person sure. who's a thought leader on this conversation in Christian community yeah uh, about um, why why this moment with Leah Thomas seems to stand out for yeah. us culturally and why why it's why it's getting traction in the hearts and minds yeah. of people who maybe have overlooked the LGBTQ community before um, yeah. why is why does this moment get so much traction and, and and what should people of faith who are trying to be helpful in all this and loving in all this
2: yeah.
0: say and think about it
2: yeah, this is a great, I've been following the story pretty closely um, when Leah Thomas won the previous swim meet, I think a few weeks ago. And I, and I knew, you know, this weekend was coming up this last weekend um, and she won the 500 meter. I think what's interesting is she lost the hundred meter, came in last place. So the the people on the political right kind of don't mention that. And people on the political left, I think, are just doing nothing but spouting off ideology it, it is a scientific fact that it really is like i i know i'm not allowed to say that in 2022 you know but, but it's a scientific fact that if somebody goes through puberty as a male that increases bone density muscle mass, lung capacity heart capacity oxygenation of the blood so even if they take cross-sex hormones and their level of testosterone has gone down um that Somebody who's gone through a biological male puberty has a physical advantage, all things considered. Doesn't mean every single male biological male will beat every single female swimmer. I, you know, the every single female swimmer in that pool would have kicked my butt. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not a swimmer, but all things considered, it, it, there's a reason why feminists and lesbians and just people who are for women's rights are 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 up in arms. So yeah, I. I, I to, to be very clear, I think absolutely um, s- things like athletics should be segregated based on biological sex for basic scientific reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, I, there's the, I, I, I don't have to say this without being misunderstood, but part of me welcomes what's going on in athletics because it is, it is shining a light mm-hmm. on an unsustainable ideology. Mm. Um and I, I don't say that negatively. I I I again it's really little to do with Leah Thomas. Sure, wonderful person, I'm sure. Um well I don't I shouldn't say I sure I don't know her, but <laughs> um, <laughs> um but it, it, is, it, it is shining a light on an unsustainable ideology, and I think it's going to cause a lot of public conversations around this ideology. Because you can't say trans women are women, and they're the same, and we can't say things like birthing persons rather than women giving birth. We can't, all, all this ideological stuff that seems kind of just outrageous Mm-hmm. The rubber meets the road in athletics. And so for me, it's like, I, I do welcome it. N- not because I agree with it, but because i was like, okay, here's where this ideology is going to head. So let's have this conversation. If we want sports to be just however you identify, then yeah, males are going to be just dominated once again. <laughs> do we want that kind of patriarchal right. <laughs> system? Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think we do. So it's hard to be a genuine feminist and somebody who, Embraces every aspect of certain trans ideologies as well regarding human nature, and that has nothing to do with the goodness or badness of individual persons. It's the it's it's whether a certain way of living in God's creation is going to be helpful or unhelpful for society. So, um, what do you th- is that does that make sense? I mean, I, I um, so I. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it makes. It, it, um, I, I completely agree. It makes, it makes total sense, and and I, I I'm with you. I, I I welcome the conversation that it brings. I just I just um I think we have to have it. I, yeah. I, I know we have to have it. I, I think the 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 part of me that cringes is how we being you know yeah. people in my position you know. People of faith who have uh, a little bit of influence, at least over their own congregation, Christians in general. I cringe at how we have that conversation, yeah. and that's why one of the reasons I'm so helpful for your work because, like, at every turn, you 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 make the point to say we need to have this conversation. But remember, we're talking about real people, real people, real yeah, people. Yeah, not yeah. only not only like Leah Thomas is a real person, but the the person who's overhearing you, who is struggling to understand who right. they are, is a real person in the room too. And right. so, how we talk about this, the the posture we take, the tenor we have, the questions we ask that we that we make clear to the world are, are of most importance to right. us really matter because we're either communicating love and grace and the goodness of God or we are not right. in, in how we have these yeah. conversations. And that
2: that's just so critical. Yeah. And let, let me add this too it's really important for people to understand for every one biological male who is entering into female sports, you know, female only sports, for every one, there, there might be five hundred maybe a thousand trans people, some of whom are suffering from debilitating dysphoria or suicidal, who are under our care, who have received nothing but mockery and shame from yeah. the church. So, and this, this is, this is, goes back to my first point when I said, let's not read this whole conversation through these kind of clickbait news lenses. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that those clickbait situations, Leo Thomas and others aren't real, aren't important. I think they're, they're very, very important for conversation as a whole but if that's our only if all we do is preach a sermon saying you know denouncing this kind of thing there's tons of people that are gonna be caught in the middle saying i don't i i know lots of trans people who wouldn't even agree with that they're like no way a trans person should be allowed to be in you know uh the 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 sports world that's you know, opposite their biological sex. So mm-hmm. um, if all we do is think that this represents kind of the trans movement and then we attack it, sure, a lot of people are going to feel attacked when they're not, that's not even who they they are. Yeah. So that, that's, it's important to keep that tension in mind, not to diminish how that, that one person out of 500 is, this is, this does bring up an important <laughs> aspect of the conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point um as we kind of finish up here uh, i wanted to give you an opportunity um if there is somebody who is trans or non binary listening what would you say to them as they wonder like what is there a place for them in the church or what what would you say
2: man i uh, uh, I, I, I first of all i want to say what's your name you know like each person's going <laughs> <it's> to your story <laughs> who are you um cuz I, I i can't make any assumptions about what they need to hear but we, we, we all need to hear, you know, God, God loves you. God values you. Um, You're not a mistake. Um, I'm sorry for any kind of shame and dehumanization you've experienced from Christians. Um, Sometimes Christians are very intentional and very mean. Other times they are unintended. They say things that are hurtful, but it's, it is unintentional. Uh, I talk to Christians all the time that have huge hearts that would love to buy you a meal and get to know you, but they still might say things that will be offensive. And that's just largely out of ignorance, you know? Um, so there's still hope for the church. Um, uh, I, I would also say, I mean, um, uh, the, the people that I know that are, that do identify as non-binary, they, they have a really hard, pro- a hard time with rigid gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they don't resonate with, you know, if you're biologically female, you don't resonate with femininity. You don't want to run around in a pink dress and pigtails. And and I just want to say, look, the creator God, the God who wrote the Bible could care less what color you dress in. You want to cut your hair short, long, dye it blue, dye it purple. I got, God does not care. He loves you as a human being. Um, and you don't need to be stuffed in some cultural driven stereotype and and that, that and i think if you're listening and you're non-binary you probably agree with that i want to say the bible agrees with that the bible mm-hmm. gives us a lot of freedom and how to express ourselves in terms of how we dress the interests we have so um mm-hmm. yeah that that's uh it, it might be christian culture who might that might feel oppressive but it's not the christian god or the christian bible that is a thing doing the the oppressing. If if you do feel kind of some oppression from these artificial gender stereotypes,
0: Preston, thanks so much for having this conversation with us. I, I really appreciate the time.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, you guys.
1: Thank you. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rachel, that was a uh, that was a that, that was a uh, a heavy, but but I, I think ultimately really really helpful conversation for me. What about you?
1: yeah definitely so a little bit behind the scenes we had the conversation and we're recording this part a little while after yeah. and i it's it's not often but after a few of these podcasts when i walk away i just i was like i just need to cry i've got some feelings and some tender-heartedness and i needed to go for a walk and get in some sunshine and just uh cry grieve a little yeah. Uh, yeah. for this community um yeah because yeah, i know what, what, I, I can oh go ahead
0: I was just say, well, why do you, why do you think why do you think that is? What 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 about this conversation made made you so tender?
1: I've really been wondering. I think I I just get the sense um, that especially we as Christians have not done right by this community um, a lot. I I think, um, and of course, you know, I can't speak for the group at large, but for myself, I can certainly say um, I've held some unloving opinions and thoughts, and just forgotten that we're talking about people that are struggling with yeah. real things. And I just have such a tenderness for that, um, that I don't want anybody to have to question whether God loves them or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah. I think that's the, that's the cry of my heart.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, you know, no matter how, how you feel about all of this, right? You, you can't, you can't negate the fact that if you, if you're a 19 year old who is going out in public, you know, declaring that they are now a member of the, the opposite gender, mm-hmm. that that some you must be going through something deep and profound yeah. and difficult, um, and then the process of, of 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 declaring that to the world or transitioning, mm-hmm. like you no, know, again, no matter how 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 I or you or anybody else feels about whether or not that should or should not happen, that that has to be just a tr- like a tremendously difficult thing to walk through, and so to know that there are people who are walking through and wrestling with such difficult things. Yeah. Um, and to know that they've, they've perhaps not always felt like they could bring some of that difficulty to, to people of faith or to the church that, that, that makes, that makes, that makes me tender as well. Of
2: course.
0: It it really does. Because, you know, Preston talked about this, how, about how we're seeing so much of this wrestling with gender identity uh, or identifying as, uh, as trans or going into a transition among, among you know gen z you know like who right now like college high school right middle school and 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 we're seeing a ton of of young people who are identifying as being on this journey and so we have we have a lot of young people who are hurting and it's it's already so unbelievably difficult to be a young person
1: (laughs) oh right and then you
0: you add this you add this on top of it you know
2: you like stories of inspiration, stories of faith, stories of encouragement, then I hope you will check out my podcast where I interview people of faith who share their stories of encouragement, the stories of inspiration, the stories of hope, and overcoming trials and difficulties that they have faced in their life and that we have faith in our lives as well. Hope you kick it out.
1: Yeah, I think um, one thing that he touched on that I wanted to go back to is this is also something that um, people who love people that are struggling with this are having to deal with, specifically parents. Yeah. And so oh, you've yeah. got this this community and it's coming up in our culture. And then like, what what do you say to parents? And I know he offered some resources, but I wanted to go back to that a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and and I you know I even mentioned that in the conversation mm-hmm. with Preston that um in my conversation is often with parents of of LGBTQ kids and uh, a, a lot of parents of, of 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 trans children now and they're just at a loss for like how to how to love their kid, how to help their kid. Mm-hmm. Are they indulging something that's wrong or are they pushing their child towards self-harm if they don't just completely affirm? Like this is just so, mm-hmm. so, so difficult. And I'm, I'm thankful for the, the resource that Preston mentioned. They put together a website that we want to be sure to mention called parenting, lgbtqkids.com, parenting, lgbtqkids.com. And if you, if you go there, you scroll through, uh, they've put together a, a bunch of resources on video uh, for you and others to watch uh, to kind of, walk you through this with other parents of LGBTQ kids. Um, and um, hopefully if you've got some parents listening who are just struggling with what in the world does it mean to to parent my kid right now, who's wrestling with this, mm-hmm. uh, you'll reach out to them and, and have a good resource for you.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I can't even imagine, um, you know, that, that time in your life, that adolescence is so formative and yeah. I, not to make light of this, but like I have a seven-year-old who adamantly wants to dye her hair black and get a tattoo yeah. like today. Yeah. And yeah. just to tell her like, This is life-changing, not the hair, but the tattoo. Let's wait until you're a little bit older and then I will go with you. Like that, that doesn't even compare to like, when I say it's a struggle, it's, it's, she talks about it constantly. So like to say, like, to, you've got a child that you love, you know, whether it's your niece or your nephew or your friend or your, your own child who wants to make this really big decision because it is something that they feel in their bones or they think they feel that they want to do and to have to live in that tension. Of supporting yeah. them and loving them while disagreeing—that's um, yeah. a—that's a tricky thing.
0: It's re- it's really tricky, and you know, you know, it's tricky for us to know kind of where all this is, all mm-hmm. this is coming from. And you know, it's pure speculation on my part, but I, but I, but I can't help but wonder. And 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 again, pure speculation, uh, helpful or unhelpful. Um, I can't help but wonder. You know, if you know, middle school, high school, college, just in general, that. That big season of life is is just mm-hmm. such a time of 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 journeying and wondering in general for all of us who we are and wh- and and do we be- and where do we belong and 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 do I matter we're, we're all just like in that stage of life. We're like one half of uh, uh Velcro, just looking for something to attach to to yeah. say how do I make sense of the world? Do I matter? Uh, to whom do I belong? Uh, how, uh, who am I? Right? Mm-hmm. And 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 you take that that journey that all of us go through and, and place it inside of a cultural moment where, where there is so much discussion around gender identity and, and, um, uh, uh being being your authentic self and uh, so much of an uplifting of the lgbtq community P- perhaps one of the reasons we're seeing so much of a response in younger kids to uh, the question of am i trans or non-binary or gender mm-hmm. queer is because in general that age group is so much searching for belonging sure. and, you, and and they see something in front of them right now they say oh well that's maybe that's me maybe that's me mm-hmm. i can belong i can be there i can i can i can have meaning and purpose and this this is how i'll kind of navigate life i just i again, speculation, just wondering out loud. And I guess that highlights some of the complexity of this for, for parents, like what's happening with my kid.
1: Yeah. You know, I think as I self-examine and I think at this, uh, I, I show up to conversations like this, that can seem controversial and there's a pull in me as a, what i I'm a believer. I I love the Lord. I love the Bible. I love truth. I love, I love solid right and wrong. And I come to issues like this. And my first impulse is to go, I need to have an opinion about what's right or wrong. And I need to have a declaration about what God says about this. And I'm just, I'm I'm just realizing that maybe that's not the question I need to be asking first or at the foremost, that it is just, it sounds so simple, but like Like, how do I be more loving and not care so much about whether I think this is right or wrong Um, or deciding what I believe God says about it? First. Can you yeah. walk
0: with me in that a well, little? Well, I, I, I would I would agree with you, Rachel, in in this sense. Like, I mean, I, I don't I don't think you're saying that what's right or what's wrong doesn't matter, or the definition of male, Absolutely. female doesn't matter, or biblical truth right. doesn't matter. But but I, but I think what you're feeling, and you tell me if I'm wrong, because this is what mm-hmm. I'm feeling, is that I, I I too want to get to that out to that island of 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 truth mm-hmm. and clarity on what's right and what's wrong, where we can all dwell together. And if I if <laughs> right. I if I if I, if I, if I, if I if I meet someone who's struggling with with anything, you know, let's just take gender identity, and and I, I long to get them to that island with me, where we can see things the same, and we can we can live together under this umbrella of mutual understanding of what it means to be male, female, um, made in the image of God, um, and what our identity truly is. Mm-hmm. But but the but the only way that I'm going to have any hope of ever getting us to that island, if that's my end goal, where we see <laughs> things the same way is to build a bridge from here to there, and that bridge is a relationship. That yeah. bridge is dignifying the other person, respecting the other person, humanizing and loving the other person. I'm like If I can't build that bridge where I, I demonstrate for you that like, I see you, and you matter, and you are loved, and you're a real human being with real breath in your lungs and real blood coursing through your veins, and and I care for you as you are today, not because of who I think you could be tomorrow, like... Like, if I can't get to that place, then I'll have no bridge to ever, ever hope to get to to a place where we can see things the same way. So, so whether that's your end goal or not, like it, it all comes down to, can you, can you find a way to communicate love and can you Mm -hmm. show someone respect and can you, can you build a relationship with somebody?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's, it's, uh, man, remembering, and he kept saying this, like being curious and remembering that we're talking about people. Yeah. Uh yeah. again and I know we've said this before it's like oh duh just like yeah. <laughs> like it's just people yeah. we're talking about. It's not it's not really issues right. we're talking about.
2: Yeah. Um yeah. And so to
1: take if I can take a softer stance and that mm-hmm. leads somebody into a relationship or just shows the love of Christ like that that's got to be positive.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. First uh, yeah, for, first and f- yeah. relationships matter most. Relationships matter most. Not that truth doesn't matter. Not that what's Absolutely. right and wrong doesn't matter. But if those things are, but if they're going to matter to us together, mm-hmm. then, then we first have to make it clear that you matter to me and I matter to you, right? Right. Yeah, and that that's the, and so as we like make the turn towards like what's our takeaway? Mm-hmm. Like for me, that's that's the big takeaway. Like I don't think there's any way to distill gender identity and, and this whole conversation down to one simple truth. But I, but but I think the big takeaway for me, the way I'm making this, the way I'm kind of making this whole conversation simple, is that before I can, uh, and this is going to sound like a like a very pastorly <laughs> way to say this, like this is going <laughs> to sound like like a three simple points in a sermon, right? But yeah. but, but before I. Before I theologize or politicize or try to proselytize anybody, I first have to humanize the people around me. And when I'm talking about the, the, my, 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 my trans niece or my non-binary cousin or my, my genderqueer son or daughter, the first thing that I have to do is, is, is let them know that I know them and I see them and I love them. And, and let that be the foundation upon which any other aspiration I have for them is mm-hmm. built. So, so before I do anything else, I have to humanize them, which is why I, I, lo- I love what Preston said when we asked him, you know, what would you say to the, the trans person who's listening who wonders if there's a place for them in the church, who wonders if, if they, they are loved by God? I loved what he said. It's so easy to overlook. He said, well, first, I'd want to know their name. What's yeah. your name? And that's it right there. Like he, he wants to recognize that you are a human being, a human person with real needs, with real wants, with real hurts, with real joys. And, and, and that's my make it simple takeaway before we do anything else, we must humanize and get to know the other person and build a foundation of love and respect. What about you, Rachel?
1: I think mine is very simple. It's remembering, um, when it comes to any community and especially a vulnerable or marginalized community, it's like, oh yeah, being human's hard and it's complicated for everyone. Um, and I don't know that, um, when you're struggling and if you're dealing with something that, that my opinion about what you're doing is what matters. And so to first come with a an attitude of curiosity and yeah. learning just about all people with all things. Because, you know, and I've said this before, I don't want people coming at me and defining me by my faults yeah. and, and yeah. putting me in groups and saying, like, first, I need to talk to you about this before I can recognize that what you're going through is hard. So just recognizing that, again, being a person, being a human and navigating this life is tricky. And um, some people are dealing with some really tricky things. Uh, yeah. So so what is it for me except to be loving?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll add one more make it simple soundbite mm-hmm. here. Do it, and and that's to uh, to refuse to believe the lie that that unless you are fully affirming in the same worldview, you mm. you can't be loving and kind and compassionate. Yeah, uh, the the, the on, on all sides of the, these issues, people want to push us towards that lie mm-hmm. that unless you completely agree with me and see things my way you're you're unloving and you're unkind and that's just not true embrace the tension of saying you know what um i can i don't have to agree with you completely in order to love you honestly and openly and fully Mm -hmm. Um, because a a refusal to embrace that truth and and live in that tension is part of why we find ourselves in the in the problematic space we're in right so what about you listener Ooh, we've said a lot.
1: <laughs> what's your <laughs> Lots of feelings?
0: Yeah, what's what's your make it simple soundbite for today's conversation with Preston Sprinkle? What's your what's your takeaway uh, to share? That you can head over to our Instagram page. Uh, you can find our profile at at M Popovitz. That's at M P O P O V I T S. You'll see a post for today's conversation with Preston Sprinkle, and just drop a comment. Let us know what your big takeaway was. Let us know what your make it simple soundbite was. Uh, Let us know what some of the questions are that you would have asked because you never know. We might have Preston on this program again, and we'd love to fold your questions into the conversation. Rachel, thanks for, for having this important, albeit sensitive conversation with me today.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things. So this is great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, me me too. And thank you, listener, uh, for trusting us to talk about this. We'll be back soon with uh, with more, hopefully, helpful and simple conversations. Let's do it. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovits.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovits.com.